Plattingham comes in. Him as well. All right, all right, okay, okay. And so, and so it begins. Right, well, that word that he said comes in at number two or number three. Gold comes in at one behind that word he said. Ro- who said rhodium? Have you read it? <laughs> right, rhodium. Well, it's just because. Rhodium is the most expensive metal, apparently, in the world, according to Google. Who could be wrong or right. But what is the most expensive commodity or thing in the world? One said love. Life from Sam. Home. Time. Time is valuable, isn't it? Respect. Yeah. You're all wrong, by the way, but these are good answers. I'm enjoying this because you're all wrong, even John. Most expensive thing on this planet. Diamonds, relationship with God. Dreams close. I'm talking about the most expensive thing in the world. Uh, no, listen. You are. Come on, you see, look, you see, look. You don't get to that age without getting a few home truths locked away in there. You, as an individual. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You. Do you ever look in the mirror and see you and realise the value that you are? Obviously not. But there we go, we'll try a bit harder. <laughs> Why are you the most expensive thing on this planet? Absolutely, Sophie. Sorry, Dan. Because of Jesus. But what about which? That's it. You can't be replaced. When we were redeemed, when we were purchased, it came at the cost of Jesus' blood. He shed our blood for all these things that people were speaking about. And do you know what? That makes you and me the most expensive thing on this earth. And that should do something to us. As, as I was thinking of that, I thought, well, that makes me feel nice inside. Sometimes I don't particularly feel that valuable. Sometimes we don't make other people feel valuable. But it doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what sex you are, what you look like, or what any of those things, you have been redeemed if you are a believer by the precious blood of God's own Son. Absolutely. There's enough in that statement to get you through next week. But we're not a cheap church, we like to give you lots of statements to get you through the week ahead. But sometimes we forget the most basic things of all and just how valuable we are and how much he loves us. We're going to revisit, and I haven't done this for quite a while, we're going to revisit a chapter I touched on last week. We're going to look at chapter 27 in Samuel. And Kay said to me very diplomatically this morning, 
When we're finishing, Samuel. And I did point out, I said, uh, there was just a hint in a voice. That hint, you know guys, what I mean? When that hint's there in the lady's voice. Yep, yep, thank you, Darren. Yeah, there was just that hint there that I thought, she's getting bored. And she confessed her sin, that she was getting bored. So, I said to her, we should finish Samuel by the end of the year. And then next year... <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, we're not going to two, Samuel. <laughs> the last two will be a preview of two, Samuel. But what we will do is we'll go into John's Gospel. <laughs> I know you'll miss Samuel. Well, that's good. That's a word of knowledge. But meanwhile, we will continue through the journey. And we left last week with David making some bad decisions. So can you put the first scripture up for me, Graham, please? Anyone ever made a bad decision in life? Okay, we're in good, com- we're in good company. The Bible says this. Lovely um, verse in Proverbs. And it says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And you know, that is so true. When I look back over my life, those 61 years, there have been many times when I've known that actually I've taken a decision that on when I was this side of, of the equation or the event, it seemed so right, it seemed so obvious for me what I needed to do, and yet the same decision taken from over here as time unfolded, and I think, why on earth did you do that? Why on earth did you do something so stupid? Well, there is a path when we ignore God's ways that will take us to death. Obviously, if you are a believer now, as a New Testament believer, we know that it's sin that leads us to death. But there is also a path that leads us to God's way of doing life. I suppose that's one of my main aims in life, is to convince you all to do life God's way. And of course, what actually happens in the real world is that we can do everything right and life can still kick us in the teeth so badly. Sometimes we, we end up being the, uh, the recipients of our own bad choices. I can get my head around that. Sometimes I mess up and I think, you know, you just deserve what you get. You reap what you sow, don't you? But as we see with David and David's life, one of the joys of going through the book is that David has repeatedly done things right. And yet life has been really difficult for him. Really difficult. He's been hounded. He's been promised the kingdom, yet years have gone by. He's faced his giants and and won the victories, and yet nothing's changed. And isn't that like life for us? We can sometimes think, right, now I'm on the breakthrough. Now if I just help it along a little bit, then actually things will get so much better. But we've got to bear this passage in mind. There is a way that appears to be right. And yet actually, most of us, if not all of us, repeatedly choose the wrong way. So let's look at Samuel. 
That proverb, by the way, was written probably by David's son. And I wonder if Dad actually put his arm around him one day and said, Look, son, when I look back over my life, this is what I've learned. Read Proverbs, there's some really good stuff on it. Can we go into Samuel? And we'll go through, I need my notice board now, because we're going to do two different sermons from the same passage. I like doing this. I don't do it half as, half as much as I should. We're going to do an Old Testament sermon and a New Testament sermon from the same passage. Can you see that? But David thought to himself, and there's his, that's what his main problem was, he thought to himself, one of these days I shall be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Old and new. See what we can get out of this passage. One of these days I shall be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Is that a true statement? Why? Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of our problems, of course, is that God gives us these promises. God speaks into our lives and we all suffer from amnesia. Or is that just me and David? It's tr- Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we suffer from amnesia. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Well, that seems reasonable, doesn't it? I'll run away. I'll go and hide. Actually, what he's saying is I'm going to go and live amongst my enemies, the enemies of God. That's a dreadful decision with hindsight, isn't it? But at the time for David, remember, and we've got to be sympathetic with him, at the time for David, on the run, 600 men and wives and families to feed, living in caves, living on the run all the time, and we all reach a point, and hear what I'm saying, we all have a point where we break. We don't have to break, because God himself tells us in the New Testament that he won't take us beyond that point, but actually takes us right to the edge. And it's sometimes when we're right at the edge that we learn life's lessons. But for David, for David, he comes up with a plan. And actually, we're going to find out his plan works. And that's strange, really, because actually you would think that God might actually stop it working. But chapter 27 is a strange passage. Do you know in this passage there is no mention of God? This is, and you're in church, a godless passage. That's strange. We're going to talk about a godless passage in church. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I'll slip out of his hand. That's it, David. I've, I've got a grip on the situation. I know what I need to do. I'm going to go and live amongst my enemies and Saul won't come after me. If I was talking to David today, one of the questions I might be saying to David, and I'm sure some of his men were saying this, was there, hang on David, what about those psalms that you've been writing lately? What about the psalms that you've been promoting that God is my rock? God is my refuge, my shield, my protection. But isn't that like life? We can say the words and when it gets really, really difficult. Oh, let's forget those. Let's, let's give God a hand. Anyone else give God a hand? Mm. 
And so David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. This is Goliath's hometown. David has been there once before. Remember, he'd taken Goliath's sword. To get away, he pleaded insanity. He pretended to be insane. Funny how we repeat life's mistakes. All of us. Sometimes we just need to learn lessons. But sometimes we are very bad students. Or once again, is that just me? No. No, it's not, is it? Move on, please. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam and Jezreel, and Abigail, or in Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of, Nab- the widow of Nabal. What does Nabal mean? Fool. Well done. Yeah, fool. Yeah, it was. Very encouraging, you know, when you get that right answers. This might be the first decent night's rest David's had in a long, long time. Probably ten years on the run. The men with him couldn't leave their families behind because Saul would probably find them and and kill them. So maybe the men, the women, the children. Imagine trying to keep that crowd quiet when people are trying to hunt you. And we know from previous verses and chapters that other people in the nation are gossiping about David. They're telling Saul where he's hiding. So it's not just hiding from an army, it's hiding from everyone. And then you've got the problem of all the logistics of keeping these people fed and watered. Terrific problems that he's having. But look, when Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. The very thing that David wanted to happen, happened. The plan is a success. Ever had plans that succeed? Let's write success. Sometimes, and this is dangerous ground, it's easier, easier to spot when God is not in it when everything goes pear-shaped. But spotting it when it actually works is really difficult. Oh dear. Let's move on. And then David said to Akish, If I found favour in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? We know that in that day, 1000 BC, the cities are not big. Maybe two to three thousand people is a, is a decent sized city. You bring six hundred guys and their families in with them and that is getting crowded. There is some tension likely to be in the air. The supplies are needed to, to sustain it. So David comes up with a plan. I know, I'll move out, but I'm still under your protection. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? Where shall we go? So on that day, Akish gave him Ziklag. Ever heard of Ziklag? <laughs> Ziklag. First appears in the, in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 15, where they start to divvy out the land. 
Who gave God... The, oh, sorry, I'll give you the clue then. Who gave Joshua the land? God. See, good. thank you for listening. It's very good. Right. So if God had given Joshua the land, and then Joshua, under direction from God, distributes the land to the nation, Ziklag was one of those places that was given to the tribe of Simeon. How come now Ziklag is under Philistine rule? What has gone wrong? Sorry, Matt, go on. Do you hear that? All the judge during the period after Joshua, the judges turn away from God. What's the famous end verse, Matt, of judges? And I wouldn't ask him if he didn't know. People did, everyone did as they saw fit. Do you, sounds familiar, who said that? Yeah. Do you know what? And that is life, isn't it? You're back to that first verse. Doing what you think is fit actually doesn't correspond with what God thinks is fit. If the period of the judges had actually worked, this event could not happen. God has given something to a nation, the nation has done as they saw fit, and the result of that is that actually it doesn't work. Let me put a New Testament spin on that. Let's go into here. What has God given you? What other thing has God given you? Give someone else a, a chance. It's, you, you, it's all good, but you know. Eternity, excellent, yeah. Free will, salvation. All these are good. Kingdom, place. He has. Yeah. And that, that's to come. That's in next year's preach. Do you know some of the things God has given you? He's adopted you into his family. He's blessed you with all the blessings in, in eternity. He's given his best for us. And yet how sad that God can give us something... And we don't embrace it. We treat it exactly like they did. And let me tell you something. If we do that, just like Israel did, we lose it. We don't lose the salvation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But actually we lose the blessings and the knowledge and the love and the awareness. The privilege of being in God's family. And it's so sad when God has given us something that we don't actually walk in it. And we're all capable of it. Akish should never have been able to do that statement. And let me tell you something else. If you do a word study on Ziklag through the Old Testament, you will find it becomes a snare to the nation. They come out with idolatry. They come out with mixed marriages. They come out with all sorts of issues that the nation struggles to handle. All because there is a way that seems right to man. But actually it leads to death. Let's move on. 
David lived in the Philistine territory for a year and four months. Sixteen months. Do you think if God had said to David, look David, hang on another 16 months. Just trust me for another 16 months and all your problems to do with Saul will be gone. Do you think he'd have gone to, to the Philistine nation? Do you think he would have believed God? Some of you wouldn't. Some of you think he's, he's reached the end of his tether and he was going to go anyway. I'd rather choose the option. I, I, I think actually if, if God had spoken into the situation and said, come on, 16 more months, I promise you Saul won't get you. Look back in time, look back at your testimony, look at these things and know that I am your protector. I think David had said, yeah, you know what, I think you're right, God. But he's lost it a bit now. And of course that's the danger, isn't it, with life? If only we could put a time scale on it. If only we knew what was round the corner. But God doesn't operate that way. Sometimes, well, God has a word for that. He calls it faith. He calls it faith where he calls us to live without knowing what's coming. The good and the bad. Now David and his men went up and raided the Gersherites, the Gizarites, and the Amalekites from ancient times. These people had lived in the land extending to Shur in Egypt. These are nomadic tribes that are also raiders. And what David is doing, he's protecting Israel from a Philistine base. He's not punishing the Philistines, but he's getting rid of some of the other tribes around and the other the other problems that the nation are having, and he's going to lie. Let's move it on. He's going to lie to the king. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man, a woman alive, but he took the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels and the clothes, and then he returned to Achish. We have a problem now, because if you allow that statement to sink in, it's horrible. David, David is committing genocide. He's wiping out men, women, children, the whole lot. Do you think God instructed him to do that? No, he didn't. There's nothing there that mentions God. This is a godless passage. This is history. This is what David did. Do you think that David feels guilty? Well, you lot are a hard crowd. (laughs) Absolutely, John. Yeah. I'm sure David didn't enjoy putting men, women and children to death. Because he's caught now. If he goes back and he leaves one alive, then actually the king, who believes he's attacking Israel, might find out. But isn't that like this? That actually, we don't know the consequences of our decisions. There has been many, many times when a bad choice has taken people down a bad path. And you can't see the destination. I think if David had known what it would entail, he would never have gone to the Philistines. I mean, I might be wrong. But I rather think that that's true. He's a soldier, he's a warrior, a brave man, and he's having to put kids and women to death. To maintain his ruse. There's a principle there that sin, which is basically our own choice, will take you to a place 
that you never dreamed possible. Choices take you to a place that you never dreamed possible. There's a very good one. We remember, I remember doing it as a Bible study. Those who were at the house that day, do you remember the story of Lot? Or not? <laughs> what did we learn from Lot? No. <laughs> Do you remember when Lot had a conversation with, with Abraham? And Abraham says to Lot, look, you just choose. You want to go that way? I'll go that way. You want to go that way? I'll have this there. And Lot chooses by looking. He looks, and what does he see? Green pastures. Green pastures. Everything that a, that a farmer wants, green grass... There was just a slight problem. What was the town nearest where he went? I'm going to have to start naming people if they don't respond. I don't mind, Beverly. You were there. Sodom. And what happened in Sodom? Bad things happened. Who said bad things? Oh, yeah, Chris, thank you. Let's be a little bit more specific. Come on, Bev. You know the study. They were doing bad. Th- yeah. Shall I do it then? Okay. Yes, but we're, we're jumping the gun. Do you know what, what happens? If you imagine that's the land, and that's the town, and that's Abraham and Lot, Lot moves just outside the city. He's not in Sodom, by the way. He knows that that's a bad place to be. But if I move close to it, I've got all the benefits and none of the risk. And then you read on a couple of chapters and you find this. That actually, sorry, Lot has gone into the town. It always happens that way. You can't flirt with sin. Sin always wins. You're not strong enough, just accept it. But if you decide to flirt with sin, sin will draw you in. And then suddenly you find yourself in it. And then the next time we find Lot in Sodom, we find he's actually involved in the city. He's He's into the politics. And it's only through God's grace that he actually rescues him. That's the pathway that everyone in this room will take. You cannot flirt with sin. The Bible says what regarding sin? What must we do? Flee. No flirting. Flee. Else it will draw you in. David's a great example. He's he's chosen his own path. And now he's reaping the consequences of his own decisions. Oh, sorry. Verse 10. Sorry, Graham, I didn't read verse 10. When Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of Jerah. Anyway, yep. Against Judah. In other words, Achish thinks he's raiding the Israelites. But he's not. But when you're in sin... Do you know the next sins are so much easier? We start to lie. We start to fabricate the truth. We start to stretch it. It comes just flows naturally. There's a pattern to this. He did not leave a man or a woman alive to be brought to gas. When the Bible tells us something twice, it's saying to you, look, sit up and take notice. Be aware that this is important. God is not condoning it, but it is reporting it. 
they might inform on us and say this is what David did and such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he's become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. Really? This is the king. This is Israel's king who should be serving God and the Philistine thinks he's serving him. The wickedness of sin is, is it's horrendous. Want to move on? As we move into the next chapter, we find this. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, You must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. Really? David now going to fight his own nation that God has already said to him, you will be king over. Then David said to him, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. And Ikish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. And the writer is very clever. He leaves us hanging on what happens next. I'll give you a preview of what happens. David joins the Philistine army. And while he's with the Philistines, do you know what happens to Ziklag? It gets raided. The very thing David has been doing happens in his own life. This time, the Amalekites raid where he is. And it's a, we know it's a walled city, a stronghold. We know that David had put his trust in that place. And they come and take it all away. He loses both his wives. He loses, or rather, he loses all the livestock. His men lose their wives. They're all plundered. It's funny, you know, by the time we come to the end of, or to the beginning of chapter 30, his own men want to stone David. Why? Bad choices. Some, you know, when, when life goes bad, don't we look around for someone else to blame? I wonder at the start of chapter 27 whether any of those 600 men said to, to David, David, why are we doing this? Why are we going there? We'll see what God does, and that's God's grace. But that's Ziklag on that side. And for Kay's benefit, seeing so as she wanted a bit of New Testament, let's look at what the New Testament might give. There is a way that seems right to man. Let's put Luke up. Luke chapter 12. I'll just read it through. And he told them this parable. And just for the clue, this is Jesus speaking. So it might be an idea to listen to what our Saviour says. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? There's those words again. When we think to ourselves, what shall I do? Can I encourage a little alarm bell to go off in your left ear and just say, I know what I'll do. I'll ask God. But this man doesn't. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Things are great. Things are wonderful. I'm being blessed. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. I have cracked it. I've arrived. And I'll say to myself, anyone talk to themselves? Yeah. You know what, you, what I want to encourage us to do? I want to encourage us, and this is biblical, we need to talk to our souls. Talk to your souls. When Kay frequently says, would you like to testify? Would you like to give testimony to God? It's a great way of you remembering what God has done in your life. It's a great way of blessing the church, and I loved the testimonies last week. But, but if we don't talk to our souls, you know who you talk to? You talk to yourself. We forget. We, we just really do forget. But if we remember, if we remember who we're supposed to be serving, remember him, it's so much safeguarding. But this man's having a conversation. I'll say to myself, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. I have arrived. Is that a good idea? It's Christmas. Why is it a bad idea? He's putting all his eggs in one basket. Suppose the grain market collapses. Self-centred instead of God-centred. Well, and it's not going to run out. There's loads. Look, look. There's loads of grain. It does. He's a businessman. He's worked it out. Well, God might take it. You don't want to give God everything. He's drunk. Not yet. He's, been, he's going to get that way. Yeah, he, he might have a few parties. Ah, now did you hear the wisdom of our deacon? Certain things... Certain things are outside of his control. Like what? Like his life. Yeah. Do you know what? And this may shock some of us in the room. Certain things are outside your control. It's a good way of living life, remembering that little gem. Let's see if Matt's right. But God said to him, You fool! Could have called him a navel. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The will. (laughs) But that's life, isn't it? None of us know what's around the corner. And yet we can say those words and live as though actually we do know what's around the corner. But trust me, you don't. should have prayed about it. You should have given the pastor at least 10%. That's another preach. <laughs> he should have used his blessings to bless others, which is what Jesus would have done. Yeah. Can you remember your saying from Jim Elliot? Listen to this. Can you remember it? And uh, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Think about that. We might make that as a book of the month one, one, one time. Through Gates of Splendour, the book is called. He is no fool that 
gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that a wonderful thing? A wonderful epitaph. And he died quite young. Hmm. That's what happens when you talk to yourself the wrong language. We become self-centred. And so I promised there's a little New Testament sermonette. So this is where we are today with the last scripture, please. Very famous passage. Some of you will like this passage. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. This is you if you are a believer today. This is your address at the moment. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. You are in a battle. I don't see devils under under trees and, and everything that goes wrong, I don't do that. But hear what I'm saying, you are public enemy number one for the person or the, um, the entity, if you like, that hates God. I, I once had a wonderful practical illustration of this. And I'm going to, forgive me if some of you have heard me say this before. When I was a franchisee, I, I had a, a business for a number of years. And the first year, if you imagine the months of the year plotted like that along the bottom, I did this sort of thing. So I knew what the takings were throughout the year. That's just good, sound business practice. The following year, we took more money, and so on. And every year, for a number of years, the business grew. And then I said to myself, yes. (laughs) Well, near enough, then I reached this conclusion that God is so blessing me that whatever I do, and I'm a believer by this time, that actually whatever I touch turns to gold. And I had always wanted to be a millionaire. And so, and I was on track. I was doing pretty good. We'd had the business a number of years. We had a very solid retention rate with with people coming back, spending money and everything. And um, we decided we would gear up for £1.5 million pounds worth of premium. If we could hit £1.5 million, then really we would take off. There would be no upper limit to what we could do. We were a very big company. And to get that, I had to get the staff in place, trained, before we could handle that stuff. We were growing at about we, something like 400000 I think I decided. Now... I was saying to myself, we can do this. My business partner, also a believer, someone I'd been in the Navy with, he went to a men's conference. Conferences are always dangerous. They're great fun, but people come back and they're all hyped up. They're all really set on fire for God. And this um, conference had a title, and I wrote the title through there like that on my office wall Seven Grange Road Darlington this chart huge thing on the wall and the title of the men's conference was Operation Joshua 
And it really had a nice ring to it. And Pete, my business partner, said to me, I think what a great idea would be is that we take Wednesday off. So that was good. I thought that works for me. We would pray in the morning till one o'clock. And then being company directors, we would have to golf in the afternoon. Because it was summer, because it was late, you know, light nights. So I thought that appeals to us. We've got plenty of staff. Everything's going hunky-dory. We're bound to pray, and God's bound to bless the business. That line became a great teaching lesson for me because of this. We hadn't lost a member of staff in two years. We were good employers. I, I, I actually looked after my staff better than what an ordinary broker, if you like. They were, they were on good packages. The very first prayer meeting, we lost seven staff. Seven. The following week, we lost another one, which meant we were then down to 50% of the staff we started before we started praying. Do you know what the solution was? <laughs> you could have been a good business advisor, right? Liberty? No, no, no. Do you know what the solution was? We stopped praying. We stopped praying. The moment we stopped praying, the, stop st the staff stopped leaving. Because actually when you are lead leading a quiet life, the enemy is not that bothered. He can't get back what you've already gained, but he can't half stop you being effective. It's that passage, look. It's, it's as real as that. It, 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 I, I looked at it for years afterwards. I refused to take the chart down because it was a lesson of perfect illustration. Never again would I make that mistake. It was a lesson learned. It needed to be learned, but it was a lesson learned. The moment we got serious, because you know what? If we'd made that, we'd have been blessing, you know, but this is where you are. And, and then you're back to Ziklag, you see. What has God given you? What has God given you as an individual? All the things that we said. All the blessings of God. But have you as an individual let the enemy steal it? I'm not saying you have. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's worth asking. It, it's, it's worth analysing, it's worth talking to yourself and saying, do you know what, have I settled for second best? Do I know that actually, whenever I stand up for God, and his attacks are subtle, the, the one thing he could do to stop us praying was remove the staff. The moment you take eight staff out of a business, their paperwork mushroomed. And it's just so easy to get on, onto a computer and do what you can instead of getting onto your knees. Do you understand the lesson? And it's there for all of us. I'll read it through. The powers of this dark world, and they are real, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, 
Therefore, this is how you fight. This is how you do it. The, the thing we should have done was not stop praying. You put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, by the way, it's worded deliberately this way, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to retreat? Oh, no, stand. To stand. Yes, please, John. Well, that's a great question, isn't it? If I've carried on playing... Praying, instead of playing golf, <laughs> the golf stopped as well. Yeah, the golf stopped as well. I'll wind it on. When we lost that, you can't just take people off the street and actually um, expect them to, to know what takes a lot of training. I used to use a, um, a recruitment agency to recruit staff. And... Um, they're very expensive, these, these organisations. And my business partner and my uh, wife said to me, are you going to like, get the recruitment agency in and actually get more staff in? And I had a brainwave. No, I thought to God. Right? I said, no. We'd been to church that night. We were sat in our house and they were looking at me saying, what are you going to do about this mess you've got us into? And I said, I'm doing nothing. And there was a lady who had left us a couple of years earlier called Fiona Grant. It was her name at the time. She got since got married. But Fiona was one of my branch managers. And Fiona was fully trained. She was great. And my wife was working in the branch in Bishop Auckland. And she phoned me the next day, the next day. And this is her words to me. And she said to me on the phone, if you could name one person who could come back to work, wants a job and could come back to work, who would that person be? And my words were Fiona Grant. Because Fiona was so good, she could do the work of about four people. And she was stood in our counter in Bishop Auckland the next day. Having resigned her work there, she was previously, and she started the next day after that. And God, in His providence and in His grace, got us out of the hole. That in our naivety, in our in our poor understanding, we got ourselves into. And it was great. No, she could do the work of four, but not eight. I should have gone back to praying, John. You're absolutely right. You are one hundred percent right. But I didn't. I don't know. You'll have to ask God. <laughs> the business continued. We didn't, by the way, hit the 1.5 million. And I lost something like 40 or 50 grand in, in the old exercise. Probably 1.1 or something. We probably didn't grow. Yeah, but we'd geared up, you see, we'd bought new systems and all that sort of stuff, yeah. <laughs> no, I'd taken the afternoon off, the morning to pray. <laughs> it did at the time. <laughs> because there is a way that seems right to man. But it leads to bankruptcy. <laughs> All right, look, I'm, 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 
It's not a Catholic church. I don't have to confess my sins. I'm illustrating. <laughs> You're in a battle. That was my battle then. I'm in a different one now. But do you know what? You're in a battle. If, if the enemy is throwing stuff at you, actually, good. Good. Because actually, you're in, a, you're in the right place. We, we are, we, we need to understand this, look. We, we are in a place which is real. There's a spiritual dynamic to all of this. And it's so easy just to curl up and say, do you know what, I'm going to stay in Ziklag. I'm going to let the walled city protect me. I'm going to not risk anything. I'm not going to take a stand for God. Or you can say it's time to come home. It's actually time to live the talk. And whatever happens, I'm going to walk it. Amen. Amen.